0: This is What's Your Why presented by the Women in Business Spectacular, a unique equestrian competition that encourages the involvement of women in business and highlights the successes and achievements of those within. Welcome to this special six-part series where you'll meet some fabulous guests of the equestrian competition and will, fingers crossed, learn something new about their paths to success and views of the future. Now let's get started, but not before shouting out a huge thank you for giving us your time, and more importantly, for all the support and encouragement along the way. Now sit back, relax, and get your listening ears out because these women in business have something to say. Welcome, thank you so much for being here with me. We're here with Dr. Kate Stevenson. We like to start every episode with an opportunity for you to introduce yourself. So if you wouldn't mind, could you just give us a quick rundown of who you are?
1: My name is Dr. Kate Stevenson, uh, known to probably most as Dr. Kate, or Kate's just fine by me. I run my own company. I practice, am a solo practitioner that spends six months a year in Florida and six months a year in Maryland, Virginia, but that's a really dynamic term because I do travel a lot. I practice specifically sport horse medicine, uh, generally not a general practitioner. I, I mean, I will do the occasional, you know, minor colic laceration, etc. but really my goal and the mantra around my practice is the higher-end sport horses, hunters, jumpers, really at all levels, mostly the higher-end ones, and preparing them to go to big horse shows all around the country and all around the world.
0: Because you and I both know that horses need a certain amount of care to keep going and feel comfortable and love their lives as much as we love having them in our lives, right?
1: Absolutely. The sports medicine world has evolved uh, you know as well as the sport has so medicine you know has to come along with that and where the sport has gone is it's become very compartmentalized meaning that most of the people that I work for if not all of them have a general vet that comes and does their normal glycogens like, and vaccines etc they have a sports medicine veterinarian that's me that comes in and just does the sport horses which is what I call performance evaluations also lameness evaluations, yes, and diagnostics, but mostly performance evaluations, basically going over these horses, preparing them for big events around a timeline that we sit down and talk about at the beginning of season, what goals we want to hit and go from there. They also have a massage chiropractic body worker, acupuncture type person, as well as any other ancillary people that they have to keep these horses the best that they can go. It's not, completely normal. While well, I support what I do wholeheartedly, you know, we've really taken these animals and asked a lot of them. I mean, it's a perpetually 23 hour a day grazing animal that we've now taken out of that situation. These horses live cushy lives. I mean, most of them have more clothes and more expensive shoes than I do. But right. the reality of it is they sit in a box, they get on a truck, they go around the country, often for long periods of time, their sleep schedules, their immune systems, you know, everything is compromised. And yet they still Mm -hmm. seem to find a way to persevere and do anything we want them to do for the most part. And that's my job to advocate on behalf of them to make that happen.
0: Rather than become a general practitioner, what sparked your interest in becoming focused or more specified with performance horses?
1: I took a little bit of an unconventional route only because I grew up in downtown Toronto, Canada. My parents are not involved in horses at all. I went to summer camp I think I was six or seven years old and took riding lessons and actually ended up kind of liking it and taking an interest in the horses and ended up being able to work for, you know, some pretty great people that kind of adopted me really while my parents, you know, were downtown working. uh, And I would be at the barn and learned a lot about horsemanship and the sport horses. And that part was always interesting to me and developing these young horses, you know, for sale, but also to work the process and taking a young horse from green development up and through the higher levels. And that was always interesting to me. So I kind of made moves to try to make that happen. I mean, any vet school that you're going to go to is going to teach you how to be a good general practitioner. What you want after that, whether it be you want to be a cardiologist, whether you do want to go into general medicine, whether you want to do any other facet, whether it be elite or not, you need to go on and do other things. So sport horses were always interesting for me, just the process of it and what these horses do for us. And I made that happen through an internship and then ended up working in Florida short term for a practitioner that needed help just over the winter. Uh, most of our clients go to Florida in the, in the winter, obviously, because Canada is the thing and there's snow. Yep. <laughs> uh, and most people go to down south. And so I went for a three-month short contract and they never really left that kind of like propelled me into the higher end echelon of sports medicine that I never even really knew existed. And that's where I've gone. So I've been lucky. And I've, you know, worked for a couple of different people, practitioner wise, and then decided for a couple of different reasons also to go and work for myself. Yeah. And while the stress is different, I am, it's sure. certainly rewarding.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, how has that been? It's funny, since we've been chatting, it's like, Okay, she just answered the first question. I didn't have to ask it. And the second question, I didn't have to ask it. This is amazing. So tell me how it's been so far being independent, a business owner, small business owner.
1: Sure. When you work for another practice, it is nice to be kind of, quote unquote, taken care of Mm -hmm. in terms of all the licenses that you have to have. Every state that I work in, I have to have a separate license for insurance, whether it be personal, liability, disability, everything that you own, of which, those of us that do this, the equipment that we own is never mind ever evolving, but very expensive.
0: Super. Yep. And
1: all that is provided by these companies that we work for. So then when you decide to go out on your own, and it's something that I never thought I could really be able to do financially or, you know, emotionally, et cetera. But, you know, when you kind of a little bit make the choices and get thrown into it, it's like, well, it's happening and I'm going to figure it out Yeah, and I'm going to try to surround myself with people and it is interesting, like when the choice was made, all these people came out of the woodwork that have done it, women in particular, and just said, look, like you can do this. Like this is, you know, this is how you're gonna do it. And don't stress the small stuff at the beginning. Like you'll work it out. It is really about having like a good support system and a good team around you. But that's kind of the biggest thing is for sure, is all the administrative stuff that comes with it. Like I have to work hard enough every day to be a to be the best doctor I can possibly be. And then you come home and it never really stops.
0: Well, I was going to say that. It's like <laughs> it's melding to things, you know, where we like to say we're, you know, we're great business people and you go to school for a business degree and this, that and the other thing. You have to be at the top of your game in veterinary practice. And then on top of that, you also have to know how to do the business end of things. Did yeah. you get any advice early on on how to do that? Other than the support of, of course, your friends and family, did you, is there people that you can employ to t- take care of that for you and do it?
1: I'm self-admittingly like most days, I think I'm generally pretty good at this job. Some days, you know, you're here to zero in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of keep plugging away and learning at it. I knew from the beginning that I am not good at the business side of it. And so if I was going to spend any money initially on ancillary support staff, it was going to be a good bookkeeper that somebody that can manage that because, you know, yes, I can make the money, but if it's not coming in, it Mm does me no good. And as much as I say a lot that I would do this job for free, well, the reality of it is. You can't. <laughs> it just doesn't go that way. Yeah. Yeah. The price of gas is a thing. and I uh, them, Oh, so, yes, it is. Uh, and I own two houses and it's, it's, it's a lot. So good bookkeeper was number one, most certainly. A good accountant was number two because the tax situation is like Greek to me. So for sure, I'm very happy to pay and pay well for people that are going to do right by me that way. I have been doing this al- like alone for a while uh, but did end up actually this year hiring a technician and those guys, I mean I did the job between first degree and vet school like I worked as a technician for somebody and it did affirm that that's what I wanted to do and this job is what I wanted to do but like I respect and appreciate everything that this girl does for me because she's a badass. That's
0: yeah. It. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and she makes sure I stay safe and she makes me more efficient throughout my day which then makes me a little bit mentally more stable.
0: Right? Similar to like a horse caretaker or a groom, right?
1: Yeah. Or a barn sure. manager
0: or any one yeah. of those roles, it's very similar.
1: And when you get to know them and you guys like we we talk without talking. Like she knows like how I like things, how I like things set up. She is a good horsewoman herself, so she knows, you know, she'll say to me like, you know, this one, mm, I don't know, like this one careful with this one. Yeah. Like I think yeah. it's going to be sharp or whatever. So, I mean, really between, never mind the business side of it, my my bookkeeper, who's a phenomenal. And honestly, I've never met the woman. I've never met my accountant either. Like, actually, personally, everything is conversations, emails, et cetera. So it can be done remotely, Yeah, most certainly. And then the technician I have in Florida, and I just have her the six months a year, and I don't have anybody while I'm up north. But yeah, that's that was the hardest transition, was to kind of keep everything straight that way, in terms of making sure my licenses don't expire making sure I have the appropriate insurance for what I own things that you don't even like think about. Again, I'm happy to pay people to think about them for me. You know, what if somebody got hurt under my watch or even somebody that was like holding the horse, like from that works at the barn. And it's, these are horses. And for the most part, we're very, very lucky that the demographic of horse that we work on is pretty domestic. Yeah. You know, they're not usually not feral, but the reality of it is, yeah, it's a, fight or flight animal and you know if they get scared or something bad happens you know they could hurt us and we've all had close calls definitely we've all had close calls so yeah yeah that's what I would say would be the most get good people get good support people business and otherwise that surround you that will protect you you know financially and liability but also protect you like you know personally and make me do the most effective and best job that I can
0: definitely in terms of your career path so you went to school where did you go to school
1: Grew up in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Did high school there. Went to the university of Guelph. Uh, did a four-year de- four degree in animal biology.
0: I did not know that, and I've known you for a very long time. I did not know that that you went to Guelph. Maybe I just omitted that out of my brain.
1: Graduated high school two thousand. Because uh, at that point, remember that time when we had a grade thirteen in Canada. Oh yes,
0: that's right. The OAC. Yeah, I was part of that too. <laughs> <Did> that. <laughs>
1: It's now a mythic beast to most other people, but yeah, we did have that. So when graduated high school 2000, went to Guelph till 2004, got that honors degree, did try to get into vet school right out of university. And I did not, which was like a fairly massive blow at that point, because, you know, being a veterinarian is all I ever wanted to do. And when it didn't happen, it kind of makes you question, was this what I was supposed to do? And anyway, I think sometimes in weird ways, things happen for a reason. So I ended up working for a veterinarian that was trying to create a practice that was for end sport horses. And I worked for him for a year and just over a year as a technician. And it was great. Like, I mean, I learned a lot. Again, I learned, it affirmed that this is what I want to do. And at that time, the advent of the private hospital in Southern Ontario was starting to become a thing. And the caseload at the University of Guelph, which is where the veterinary school is that I the only one I really could apply to unless I wanted to apply to another country or state. Uh, Their caseload was lacking and we were getting students that came to see practice with us that really, it was a bit concerning in terms of their lack of caseload and what they saw. And so I kind of started to look at other options quite quietly. Mm-hmm. at that time. To be honest, I didn't really tell anybody I was doing it. Right, And I looked at the UK uh, because it was a bit of an obvious choice in terms of the AVMA, uh, which is the American Veterinary Medical Association, who is basically our governing body in the US. They deem these schools that are outside of the US worthy of coming back to the US and practicing. And the UK has four. And they had three of them at that point. So the UK was obvious choice, English speaking and I could get educated there and come home and practice without additional bar exam testing, etc. I just write the medical boards overseas.
0: And are you a dual citizen?
1: I'm a dual citizen with the US.
0: Oh, okay. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. My father is American and my mother's European, which ended up working out well for me in terms of now working in the US because sure. that's complicated. I worked on a TN95 visa for about three years and then decided to go through the citizenship process through naturalization, which still took well over a year and some money, et cetera. But even for tax reasons, I had to do it.
0: For sure. So for I sure. am,
1: but ended up going to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland.
0: Which if anyone, not to be whatever, but if you haven't been to Scotland, anybody that's listening, go and go there. It's the most amazing city.
1: It was magical. Like, I mean, it really was a magical place to never mind live, but to, you know, go to school. Like you, you wake up every day, And there's a castle in the middle of the city. Yeah. And everything there is so old. Like, I mean, the old for them is 1400s. And like, we just don't know history like that in, you know, in Canada and the US, like our our old is 1800s. And just that the people are lovely and friendly and welcoming. And it was just a really great hands-on education that I didn't really expect. Mm -hmm. And again, things have a funny way of working themselves out sometimes. And that's where I ended up. And I miss it every day. It's been a while now, but like I miss it every day for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. And it will always have a special place in my heart for sure to go there whenever even I'm in, I again travel a lot. I'm in a lot of airport lounges and I hear a Scottish accent or whatever. I'm always like, (laughs) yeah, know, I got So yeah, I did. I did end up coming home after that and did an internship at a hospital that's right outside of Woodbine Mohawk Mm -hmm. racetrack. Right outside of Guelph, which was in basically it was elective sports medicine and then emergency critical care. I had no intention of being a surgeon, but it really actually was a really great learning experience again, very hands on. I learned a lot and then ended up getting a job kind of locally a little bit that didn't last very long for a variety of reasons. It just wasn't a good fit for me and what I wanted to do mm-hmm. and that's when I started to look you know for the winter outside of Canada and Again, Florida, for anybody that knows the business, is the obvious choice because it has more horses than people. It's the logical choice, even for a short term, because everybody just to continue to horse show for four to six months, or even say some people go for short periods of time. I'll take 75, 85 degrees and sunny. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm useless now if it goes below 50.
0: (laughs) Thin-skinned, we call you guys up here. Thin-skinned. I'm from Toronto, Canada, 12 months a year. And yes, snow Mm. is a real thing. (laughs) cheers to that
1: i still put on my speeder please (laughs) i would too i would too
0: (laughs) we'll return to our regular programming in just a minute but while i have your attention i have an important question did you know that companies with a well-designed visual identity can boost brand awareness and make people more likely to purchase in fact According to sources, developing a strong identity helps to create an emotional connection with customers, which may also increase spending. Right Every Stride is a company that not only understands the concept of having a visual identity, but also the importance of it. From logos to color palettes, graphics, fabrics, and packaging, Team Ride Every Stride will work with you to create a seamless identity for your business. They handle custom branding for equestrian products, awards, VIP events and apparel. If you need it, they do it and better yet, they do it with a smile. Team Ride Every Stride has partnered with the Women in Business Spectacular Horse Show to not only bring you some beautiful awards, but also offer you a very special gift. Visit rideeverystride.com to learn more and shop now. Enter WIB15 at checkout and save 15% on your entire purchase. So what are you waiting for? It's easy to get started with saving and to hashtag brand your biz with Ride Every Stride. Are you planning your show schedule this summer? Don't miss the first ever Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular happening July 13th to 17th at White Hollow Farm. This unique horse show is created by women, operated by women, benefiting women's health and showcasing women in business. This event is something that has never been done before. The Saratoga Women in Business Spectacular will break the mold by having women fulfill all positions for the show while showcasing women in business in the equine world and beyond. This important initiative will not only be beneficial for all that partake, men are certainly invited to attend, but it will also be educational and philanthropic. Proceeds for this event will be donated to organizations that support women's health. Exhibitors and attendees will be offered multiple opportunities throughout the show and beyond, to meet, interact, listen, and learn from a variety of remarkable women willing to share their career stories and career paths. If you're interested in participating or just want more information, please visit saratogahorseshows.com and we'll see you there. Was it always your intention to go to the U.S. to further your career or is that just sort of the path that happened?
1: It's a good question and I get asked all the time, like, are you ever going to come home? Are you ever going to come home? Uh, I've lived in the U.S. and for almost 13 years. And the reality of it is the higher echelon of sport and the opportunities that it has for me within the US, I think, are greater than they are in Canada. And that's at no detriment or that's at no offense, you know, to anybody that does the sport to a high level in in Southern Ontario or Southern British Columbia. It's just really a numbers game in terms of like we just have that many more people we have that many more vets. And if you want to work on the high end courses, you best be good at what you do. Because there is a lot of us. And, you know, even though I'd love to say there's no royalties in this business, I'm very lucky. And, you know, most of my bigger, massive accounts I've had for 12 years, and most of them put this like devout faith and trust in you that I can pretty much have carte launch to do what I want, knowing that I'm not going to do it at the detriment unethically to the horse, but also to the client financially, et cetera. I like the process of making choices. I like the process of working with these trainers and again, making these horses the best that we can do. And I just don't think I could practice medicine to the same degree or level that I do now. Did I know that? No, I didn't. I had no idea until I moved down there. And then it seemed like the logical kind of choice to stay. I do thrive off of stress and, um, high, you know, like the, the, the high end horses, but you know what, I've been looking and I've had some horses do some big deal things, but it doesn't take away any more or less from the ones that, you know, maybe show at a lower level, Mm -hmm. but you can really help these guys out and make a difference, you know, make a difference to these people and these horses. And, Yes, that can happen in Canada, but it just, it's, it's a numbers game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Ten times the population. It just makes more sense. And it's a different sport. I mean, we like to say it's North American, and it is North American but in this country, but it's a different sport in the U.S. than it is here. almost
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah, almost tenfold.
1: The choice of horse shows is you can go to a... I mean, it's not Europe by any age. You can go to a five-star week over there. But here, you know, these people are traveling constantly and effectively. There's yep. a horse show and mostly decent ones to go to. Three hundred and fifty-two days a year, like you can really do yeah. that. And again, I think the sport is forever evolving in that respect. And horse show management is evolving. The clients are asking for a better product, a more consumer-driven product, a more boutique-type customer service-driven product. And I think there's some horse show organizers that are really thriving and capitalizing on that. And there's some that's not. Yeah. I have to travel for my job. It's a lifestyle that I've become accustomed to. It's not easy all the time. But that's the lifestyle that these horses and these clients lead. And I feel a responsibility to, you know, give them a consistent product on my end as well.
0: Wouldn't we love it if life was easy all the time? I would. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But it also would be boring.
0: You're right. It would be completely boring. Never, never evolving and never changing. Right. In today's day and age, how would I get to where you are today if I chose to follow the same or a similar career path?
1: You can say a lot of it is luck and right place at the right time. However, I think for what I do and being a veterinarian is not an easy job. I think we all kind of know the stats on it and not one more vet movement is a thing, but the reality that you have to really, you have to really want it. And I think this is like, I guess, applicable to anything, but you also have to really love it. Yeah. So if you are going to invest the time, energy, money, mm-hmm to go through, you know, the 11 plus years of education, you best be sure that this is what you want to do. And I say this to any parent that's like, has a child that wants to be a veterinarian, get them to go spend time at a shelter with a veterinarian, do a lot of ride-alongs. I take kids all the time. And I will say, unfortunately, interestingly, if you asked a lot of my classmates if they would do this again, a lot of them would say no.
0: That's unfortunate.
1: It is unfortunate, but it is a tough career. And that's why I really, you know, you best want it. So make sure you want it and make sure you tick the boxes to want it. You have to have good work ethic, period, mm-hmm. to go and do this. And then you have to just kind of align with the right people. And right people, meaning make good connections. A lot of like my good connections, like, you know, you included, I don't mean for a long, long time, like, oh, damn, like 30 years now. Like, oh, my God.
0: Scary, <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah.
1: But, you know, these people, these people kind of come back into your lives in various ways. And it's nice to keep good relationships and good connections with people because you never know when you need to call on them again. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. It is the profession. And I can't speak for other professions, and I'm sure it's similar, but you have to networking is huge because Mm -hmm. the sum of the day, sometimes like I I talk to another veterinarian, a farrier, an insurance agent, at least once a day, at least. And sometimes the best answer to our people is, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to figure it out, yeah. and I'm going to connect with X and Y, and I'm going to ask the questions, or we're going to get a second opinion, or that's my job. Saying I don't know is often a really great answer, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. with that comes making these connections with other people and having the ability to pick up the phone and or email or send lab results or ultrasound whatever images and and just being like help (laughs) what's going on here like this kid's in trouble and I need to figure it out so really like how did I get to here well yeah it came with a lot of hard work but it also came with a little bit It maybe sounds a little pretentious but like aligning yourself with the right people
0: for sure
1: politically and friendship wise and otherwise and professionally and those relationships will do you well yeah in the long term if you go about them the right way for sure they will
0: so would you do it all again would you do the same thing?
1: Hundred percent. Yeah, I would in a heartbeat. Yeah, and I think that that's it's always kind of amazing to me when people say they wouldn't. Again, I don't live a totally conventional life, but yeah, do I love what I do? Yeah, I totally do. I completely get off on these horses going better than they are, mm-hmm. and and you know advocating for them, and well, again watching them go on to big things. But never mind that. Like watching you know my clients, their kids grow up yeah. and you know go on to good things. Like that's also important to me. And you know, when people say it always irritates me and people are like, you know, don't take it so personally or whatever. Well, these horses are personal to me. These kids are personal to me and I'm going to do the best I can do. And that doesn't come easy or lightly <laughs> every
0: yeah, day. Definitely. Yeah.
1: But it is, you know, it is a job. Again, I say it a lot. I would do it for free if I could.
0: More than a job, more like a lifestyle, more like a way of living, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It is a lifestyle and the. Again, I touched on it briefly, but the veterinarians have, and this is stat, like national stat, like fact, like, you know, highest suicide rate, highest depression rate, yeah. alcoholism, divorce rate in the country. There's been a big movement, you know, called Not One More Vet about that. And, you know, the profession has really tried to put some effort and financial money to try to figure this out for us. And I think it boils down to a lot of different things, but really what it boils down to is what they call compassion fatigue.
0: Explain that to me. Yeah.
1: Compassion fatigue is basically we care too much. Yeah. You get involved, whether it be small or large animal, you know, with people that often can't afford to do what these animals, you know, need us to do. And it comes back on us that we failed them somehow because, Mm -hmm. you know, we couldn't do the right thing by them because people couldn't afford it. But it's not often about the money for us either. But at the same time, we also have to make a living, et cetera. A lot of us have a tremendous amount of student debt. That is real. I have friends that will die literally of natural causes before they will pay off their student debts and loans.
0: Such a shame.
1: Yeah, it's sad because it weighs on you constantly as well. But yeah, compassion fatigue is a thing and it makes us better, but it also
0: you have to have an emotional support system. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. you have to be yeah, you have to be careful with it as well. Absolutely.
0: That's interesting. I'd actually never heard that term before, compassion fatigue, and thank you for explaining it. It's an important cause, uh, not one more vet. So if anyone's not aware of it or hasn't had an opportunity to tap into that yet, maybe at least give it a Google search so that you know what you're dealing with when you're dealing with the medical team that takes care of your important animals. Dr. Kate, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your energy. I appreciate your effort. And more than importantly, I appreciate you every single step of the way. We touched on it earlier. We've been friends for, we're gonna date ourselves here, but 30 plus years.
1: Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, all the way from the very beginning to where it is now, and I wouldn't change one second of it for the world. I love no, you to the moon neither. and back, always. Thank you, thank you, thank you for saying yes.
1: Also, me. I'm happy. and I'm happy to be here, and I think it's an important cause what you guys are doing. I appreciate the vision, and I appreciate you know the story that you want to tell. I think it's an important one. Thank so you. So I applaud the effort.
0: Thank you, Dr. Thank Kate you. Stevenson. If you need any advice? She might not have space in her calendar, but give her (laughs) a buzz anyway. She's got a tech now. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why? Our listeners, guests, and our sponsors, too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media production.